That's what they taught us in chiropractic school. 80% of your diagnosis does come from history. Uh, what is it? 80% and then 10% is from exam and then the last 10% is imaging and, and, and labs and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and they, they taught us the same thing and it's correct. It is 100% correct. Welcome to the Practice Impossible Podcast where your host, Jude Pierre MD, also known as Coach JPMD, discusses medical practice topics that will guide you through the maze that is the business of medicine and teach you how to increase profits and help populations live long. Your mission, should you choose to accept, is to listen and be transformed. Now, here's your host, Coach JPMD. All right, welcome to the Practice Impossible podcast. All right. With, uh, your host, Coach JPMD, that's me. Thank you for listening to our audience. Uh, thank you for sharing the show. Uh, that's the only way it, we get the word out. Um, and today we have a special guest, Aaron Dixon, uh, chiropractor, who joins us this in season two. And as you know, we here try to... Um, to help our populations live long by increasing awareness of physical, mental, and spiritual health globally. And physicians need the help of wise counsel, wise business leaders in our community. And and today we have uh, live in studio with uh, Aaron Dixon. So if you're listening to this podcast, you can also uh, watch our podcast in season two on YouTube as well as Spotify. And... Um, you know, Aaron has helped me tremendously, and not only myself, but he's helped my wife uh, with some back issues, and I had some serious neck issues. And, yep. <laughs> and uh, you know, but before we get into the episode, I have to do a disclaimer and a disclosure, I guess. Uh, nothing discussed on this show uh, or any of the shows before should be taken as medical advice or treatment recommendations. Listeners should contact their medical providers for advice. And so I kind of have to say that. Um, so Aaron. Yes. Dr. Dixon. Yes. You go me, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> tell me. Uh, tell, tell us about yourself. Tell yeah. Us. So, um, gosh, well, where do I start? Um, I've been in practice for, gosh, 11 years now. I've uh, got a family. Um, was married in 2019 and have a little girl who was born in 2012, uh, 20. Um, she's three and four months now. Um, and she's amazing and, and she's the most important thing in my life, obviously. Um, and yeah, um, I don't know what so, else. So, so you've been, you lived in Tampa all your life? No, no. So I grew up in Virginia. Um, I was, uh, there till I was 18 and then I joined the military. I was in the air force. Uh, so I left home at 18 and, um, my parents end up retiring down here. So okay. once I got out of the service, I, um, kind of followed them down here so I could be close to my family. And then that was in 2004 or five. And I went to uh, HCC USF for my pre-med or biomedical science degree, okay. and then went to uh, Palmer college in Daytona. So I've been in Florida since 2005. So you say you air force. Did yeah. You, did you yeah. fly? No, 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 this is funny. I was a, I was a meteorologist, a weather forecaster. So, really? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a kind of a weather uh, geek. <laughs> if you, if you want to call it that, um, so are we going to talk about uh, global warming yeah. and climate change today? Oh, gosh. Yeah, we could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the water's hot. It's the, this is the hottest summer I can remember. So so uh, that, that makes me want to know about, you know, your, your previous life then. Sure, So sure. as a meteorologist, you studied that? Yeah, so um, the Air Force kind of put us through a kind of like a trade school, I guess you could say. So uh, I was young. I was only 18. So okay. I joined it right before 9-11. And um, mm -hmm. I was in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi for my, my tech school, and it was about six months long, and they kind of teach you how to forecast. Mm -hmm. um, 
but you obviously don't have any experience. You just kind of learn the science behind that. Um, and it was actually looking back on it, it was a pretty good education. Um, and then we went to a hub. Um, there was, I believe eight of them at the time. There probably is more now. Mm -hmm. Um, and the hub that I was at, was responsible for the weather of in the Southeast and from Florida over to Alabama, up north to Virginia. And also a section of that hub is responsible for the weather in, um, the Middle East and also Southwest Asia, which is considered the Middle East. Um, and so that was right before 9 or right after 9-11, and then right before the Iraq War. Um, okay. And so I was doing weather for, at 18, 19 years old, doing weather for the, the troops and the Air Force um, over there in Iraq and Afghanistan in 2002, 2003, um, at like 19, 20 years old, not even old enough to drink. So it was a, it was a cool experience. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything brave. Um, so, you know, I don't like to be like, oh yeah, I served, you know, like yeah. I don't like to, you know, kind of be that way to have the bravado of being a, a military guy. But at the same time, um, it was a great experience for me. Um, I think it really forced me to mature in certain ways that I would think my peers might not. Um, well, well, you, you, how long were you in Af Afghanistan? No, I wasn't there. I actually you, didn't oh. go. So I was, I was in South Carolina, which is okay. where the hub was. And we did all the weather for over there. Cause I gotcha. back then, you know, even 20, 22 years ago, we could still do all that remotely and, and, and all that. So it was, it was a challenge. It was, but it was awesome. It was fun. I met some great people. Um, you know, I think it, it really helped me, uh, grow in certain areas of yeah. my life that, like I said, my peers probably weren't given that opportunity. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one of the things I always wondered about meteorologists is where do you get the data from? Because you got to get it from the centralized location. And it seems like everyone is getting fed the same data. Right. As a meteorologist, are you also, are you predicting stuff or are you getting sure. predictions from the data? You mean like models? Yeah. Um, so this is, I mean, this is 20 years ago, so I'm sure it's changed a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, we call it model forecasting. It's just, you know, and then also actually forecasting. So um, like, Nowadays, like you can look, anybody can pull up a model on, on, on the computer and see what's going to happen. Right. And really within the first couple, 24, 48 hours, it's probably fairly accurate. Um, but there are things that you can look at that aren't going to be picked up on models. And that's kind of the art I would think of being a weather forecaster or meteorologist yeah. is not just blatantly saying, okay, this is what all these models are telling me. This is what the forecast is, okay. you know, like actually interpret with satellite radar, um, what um, extrapolate data from what's happening, you know. 500 miles away and, and things like that. And that was, that was the art of, of being a meteorologist. And that was the fun part because especially over in Iraq, for example, um, there is no radar or there wasn't radar then back in 2002 or 2003, we had no, like, you know, how you pull up the radar on your phone, like in America, we've had radar for, you know, 30, 40 years. So, right? so what's the difference between radar and the satellite stuff? Um, radar is picking up like, oh gosh, no, now I got to think about this. Satellite <laughs> is going to, is, is, is a satellite looking yeah. down. Right. And so you have really three things that you see with satellite. You see water vapor. Um, you can see um, the temperatures of clouds. Um, and then you can see actual visible, like visual of what's going on. Okay. Right. So you have to interpret those three things to kind of decide what's going on with the weather. Whereas radar is looking at, and oh gosh, I can't really give you the science behind that. But so so you, I, from what I remember with um, hurricanes, you mm -hmm. have to actually have something on the ground to be able to detect yeah. what's going on. Is yeah, that, that's that, radar. Radar okay. is is looking at like, so when you see the the reds and the and the yellows when a yeah. thunderstorm is coming, that's really looking, I think it's looking at the, the density of precipitation that's in the okay. clouds. 
I could be wrong on yeah, that one. It's been yeah. a really long time. So I'm, I'm pressing you on things <laughs> no, that okay. we're not even here to talk about, <laughs> no, but it's no, just I, curious. I enjoy it. Yeah, no, I, I'm cool with talking about that. Um, but anyways, my I guess my point was it was much harder back then in those areas because they didn't have radar for once. So you couldn't, you'd be like, is that a thunderstorm or is that just a cloud? You know, like uh, I have no idea. Um, and it snows in Iraq. Had no idea. I missed that forecast. <laughs> I was like, oh man, like that, it's like two or three inches up in Northern Iraq. Totally had no idea. Cause they don't have any data. Like no one's kept meteorological or climatological huh. data or didn't really, we didn't have anything. So like most of what we have in America, our models are built F of, of, over a hundred years of data that's been fed into it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, over there, you just we just didn't really have that, so we had to really kind of you know step up our game to yeah. kind of get things done right, you know. Because over there, like you know, there's a lot of helicopters going out to to to, to save you yeah. know, people, you know, to, to the helos going out to uh, to get these troops that are they're dying, you know. And so we have to be able to say, hey, can you fly or can you not? You know, that's uh. a decision that has to be made. And, and, you know, our forecast is part of that. So it's not like here where it's like, ah, you can ground the planes and everyone to be okay. Over there, it's like, there's, it's life or death. Yeah. So it was um, a little bit more challenging, I think, for for a 20 or 19-year-old, you know, um, kid, really, yeah. um, to do that stuff. But it was it was, it was was awesome. It was really good. And when did you, when did you get married? Oh, gosh, when did I get married? That was 2019. So I had a big gap between when I got out of the service, going to school, and then getting married. So, okay. Yeah. So uh, you went to school. Yeah. Um, where'd you go to school again? So um, I went to, when I first got out of the service, I didn't have great high school grades. That's mm-hmm. part of the reason why I went in, because it's a whole other story. But um, I, uh, I I could only get into HCC, right? Okay. So. Um, but I was once I had the military background, the discipline that I was taught, it was really easy. School was very simple for me. Like I learned from every level that you just have to apply yourself and not leave everything the last minute and it'll be fine. And I was able to do that. And if you just pay attention in class, like that's half of your stick for me. It was like, oh, God, just look, look at this and learn. I'm, I'm fine. You know, and um, so I went to HCC, got you know good grades there and then transferred to USF. That's where I got my pre-med or biomedical science degree. Um, and I was real proud of myself because I had done well in that school. Um, I remember that a counselor that I had met before I went to, from HCC to USF, um, she was like, well, this is going to be really hard for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, like challenge accepted, you know. And so I remember I, I, my goal was to get straight A's. I didn't quite get there, um, but I was pretty close. And because um, I had originally plans to go to medical school um, and you got to have very, very good grades to get in medical school, as you know. Right. Um, <laughs> well, for the most part, I would. I mean, I'm sure it's I was probably <laughs> <laughs> I was I was kind of a, I just I just really like took school seriously. Like for me, it was like the means for me to like become something, you know. So I uh, I was very, very, very heart driven um, when I once I got to USF to, to, you know, get all the A's and all the hard science classes just to prove them wrong that I could do it, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was what I did um, in the early 2000s. And then I think 2009 is when I went to chiropractic school. So okay. I, um, I wasn't really quite sure what direction of medicine I wanted to go into. Um, I had toyed around with the idea of doing, being a nurse practitioner. Then I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I had Originally wanted to do nutrition, then I decided that wasn't for me either. And then I was going to do physical therapy, and then I was going to do become an MD. Um, and then I just kind of settled into chiropractic. Um, and I remember I had 
just graduated and I thought I was gonna have to wait about a year, you know, and, and before I could get into um, a doctorate program. And I called the chiropractic school. and I was like, you know, what, what's, what's the deal here? Like, they're like, Oh, we can get you in next month. I'm like, all right, let's do that. I'm like, that's easy. You know? And, and obviously they have requirements for, for you know, um, prerequisites and whatnot, but there is no interest exam. Okay. So that's a good and bad thing. And we can get into that later. Um, but, um, just as soon as and I that was in that was in Florida. Also. Yeah, yeah. And so the, which school is that? It's Palmer in Daytona. Daytona. So okay. Palmer College is there's was three campuses. Now there's only two, but um, Davenport, which is the what called the Fountainhead. Um, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, the Fountainhead, which is um, the very first chiropractic school ever, right? And there's a whole history behind it. Um, and they obviously wanted to have more branches of the school, and so they opened one in. I want to say San Jose, California, which is closed and the one in Daytona, which is blossomed. Um, and that opened in 2003 or four. And I started there about five or six years later, um, in 2009. Okay. Yeah. So, and how is that different from DO schools? I, I, I don't know. They, I, I think DO is probably closer to, uh, to MD. MD. Yeah. Um, but they know they do manipulation. They do. And, uh, yeah. I think that they are, I know that back a hundred years ago, chiropractic and DO were very similar. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Dio kind of veered off more to MD side, like to more, um, um, allopathic Allopathic. medicine, Mm -hmm. whereas chiropractic has been very holistic all the way through. Um, I have no idea if Dio is actually still manipulate or not. Um, I think they do learn a bit, whereas chiropractic, that's all we do. So our education from day one is some degree leading us to become spinal or um, joint manipulators, um, within, you know, three and a half years. So, so the three and a half year, uh, um, schooling, yeah. um, is there a board that you yeah, take or yeah, national boards? Yeah. There's four parts. Um, the, the boards, you know, there's people that, that don't do well on those. I was always a good test taker. So for me, it wasn't, you know, I took them really seriously, of course, yeah. but, um, they weren't really that I didn't find them that difficult. Okay. And some of it is going to be, I mean, I would imagine that you have to have some practicals to actually yeah, manipulate of course. and then yeah. okay. So the practicals are a lot of it is like how to take a history, how to do an exam, um, certain examination tests. And also um, it was, yeah, it was very practical. And I mm-hmm. thought that was actually probably the best board we took. That was number four was like, cause if you can't pass that, you shouldn't be practicing. And I thought that was a very well, well-written type of, of test um, to really kind of, and the schools, their job is to get you to pass your boards. Okay. That your entire education is not only built to teach you how to manipulate, but also how to pass boards. Because they want, you know, ninety nine percent of their students to graduate and pass boards. So they did a great job of preparing us for that. Mm-hmm. And as far as debt or schooling costs, uh, how is that compared to? Probably the same. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I shoot two hundred thousand easy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's outrageous. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Okay. So, so yeah. then you, you really have to know your stuff to be able to market and, and start that's, a business too. That's so. when it becomes difficult. Yeah. That's when it becomes Tell difficult. Tell me about that. Whew, that's a, that's a tough one. So, and I'm sure it's probably the same for medical doctors coming out of school. Like there's no real business training. Zero. So yeah, same, well, there was a little bit, we had one class, but it, it it's not enough. Right. So one class in three and a half years for on business. how to run a chiropractic Correct. business. Yeah. So and this this is this is a lot um, to kind of break down. So let me start from the the bottom here. So when I graduated, I unlike most of my colleagues, I did not work for anybody. I was like, well, I've always been able to 
accomplish whatever I put my mind to, right? I've always been able to do whatever I want, right? Mm-hmm. As long as I'm willing to put the work in. And I was like, this can't be any different, right? It's just probably like going to school, passing a test, right? It's, it's, I just learn, I listen, and I learn from my mistakes and figure it out. And that's what I figured I would, I would do. Um, am I too far from this? No. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, I just, Went out, I opened a practice and just got a business loan, which I'm shocked they gave me one, but they did. Um, I actually was working with a management company um, in the beginning that um, kind of, that was what they like to do is pick off fresh chiropractors and get them to dive into their system. And then um, not like a franchise, but, you know, very, very planned out kind of procedures and, and, and all that stuff. Um, and they helped me get the loan and then they helped me, you know, find a place and kind of set it all up. Right. So that's what I did, um, which is unlike most doctors. So so you had a management company help you get the loan, but that management company was also going to take a Yeah. Oh yeah. They took their cut. They took their cut. So they didn't actually help me get the loan per se, as in like have influence with the banks. They just provided me a good business plan. They kind of coached me through what to say and what to do. Um, They kind of, they use their prowess to kind of back me when I went in and the, believe it or not, the first bank I went into, they offered me a loan. Okay. So, and um, I think the the downside to those management companies is they have a lot of ego. So they think that as long as you do exactly what they say, um, you will be rich. Right. And huh. it just, for me, it didn't work that way because I, you know, getting into certain things that they like to do, I mean, they're a little real. I'm, I won't say who they are, but they're, yeah. I, I believe that a lot of management companies are, are, are slightly predatory towards new chiropractors because we have no idea what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I think that it doesn't allow you to always have integrity per mm-hmm. se. Um, and so I, I, I use them to help me, you know, grow initially, but um, eventually I was, I was done with that and I wanted to do things my way, the way I thought was more, you know, ethical, more, um, uh, more congruent with my, my belief system, um, and allowed me more freedom to treat people the way I wanted to and do things the way I wanted to, um, and be as upfront, as honest as I possibly could be. And that's the direction I took after working with them, um, for a few years. So so. what would you say is a percentage of people who work with the management company like that coming out 50%. Gosh, I don't know. Probably. 80%. I would think it would be hard not to really. So. Yeah. I mean, cause think about, unless you have a lot of business experience already. So 80%, 90%. I would think, so. I think most, I think 95% of chiropractors coming out don't work for themselves. They work for somebody else, which is probably the smart thing to do. So they get hired by another yeah. chiropractor yeah. who yeah. might have gone through that management company also. It's possible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So some do, some don't. Um, and there's, there's a, uh, there's a, a company that's for everybody, I'm sure. Yeah. And then there's Mavericks out there that, that will just do it themselves. And, um, you know, that are just business minded, you know, people that can yeah. actually, you know, figure it out or, or know how to make the dollar and cents work in order to leverage the small amount of money they probably have in order to grow their, their practice or their business properly. So, yeah. so, so before we delve into mm-hmm. the business, cause yeah. I'm really interested in, yeah. in understanding the, sure. the payer breakdown. Yeah. Why is it that chiropractors get such a bad rap? Ooh, well, that's a good co- that's a good one. Um, so it probably has to do with perception of danger. That's one of them. Perception um, of danger. Perception of danger. Correct. Right. So 
it looks scary or it sounds scary or it is perceived as dangerous based on the outward appearance of what a chiropractor is doing, right? Twisting your neck, popping your neck, doing things like that. You, you, I mean, think about if you've never had a chiropractic adjustment before and you walk in and it's usually we're the last option, right? Like I've tried everything else. I don't want surgery. Let's try something different. I can't get rid of my back pain. Or I can't get rid of my neck pain. Um, it is a very, I'm in pain. Like this is a scary thing. Somebody's going to manipulate my spine. Like I'm going to get paralyzed. You know, that's, that's a common, common fear. Mm-hmm. And I like to address that as it's common. It's and it's your perceived, um, uh, you're perceiving that's what's going to occur. So I have to address that, and yeah. and it's okay, it's fine. Like that's that's a n- normal thing I hear people say to me all the time, um, and I just tell them like, uh, it's one that isn't dangerous. You know, if it was, we wouldn't be here, right? We've had a lot of fighting along the way to become um, relevant, yeah, um, or even accepted, it, I mean, accepted, even right? Right, and we still aren't there but um we've come a long way i think as a profession because we just don't really hurt people okay is it dangerous um no it's not it's just not right yeah people i'm not breaking necks you know we're not paralyzing so people. you've never paralyzed anyone? no never never, never no never no. broke someone's back no, you can't do that no okay. no you have to the spine is strong you know yeah. there's a lot of ligaments and muscles that protect it like i you know i could probably sprain strain somebody if i adjust them too hard yeah um but no but no. you're gonna be taking a history because i know uh, that absolutely. when i saw you i mean you yeah. you took a thorough history absolutely you asked me questions yeah. you didn't, yeah. you almost didn't want to manipulate because you yeah. weren't sure what was going yeah. on and yeah. you told me to do some exercise yeah and yeah like. i try to and every patient's different right and i'm trying to remember how you 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 came in and i, I do remember that you're i knew you had a disc thing going on there and I, and a lot of times manipulation is helpful in a short-term palliative aspect when you're dealing with yeah. um, discogenic pain like that. So, you know, obviously we want our patients to feel better and I want them to feel better as quick as I can. Um, but so, so let me pause you yeah. there because you said we, I probably had a disc or you, you right. said I think I so, a dis- yeah. discogenic issue. Yeah. Let me tell my audience that I never had an MRI. Right. I didn't have an x-ray. Dr. Dixon took a thorough history and right. understood that it was a discogenic problem right. based on what he asked me and how he right. examined me, yeah. which I think is really important for people to hear because a lot of times I think we, we flipped medicine uh, around. When I went to medical school, it was 80% of the <clears throat> diagnoses were, were obtained from a history and physical. Mm-hmm. Only 10% was labs, 10% was x-ray. Correct. Now we flipped it where... Eighty percent is actually MRI and X-rays, and only ten percent is is um, talking to the patient mm-hmm. history and physical. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for for audiences, even though you may not be wanting to get advice from me, and I don't want to give you advice, but I think it's just wise for for you to understand that in medicine, you have to go to a doctor that's going to actually listen to you, mm-hmm. take a history, mm-hmm. and examine you. Exactly. Yeah. And so. You, so, no, no, you're right. And, and that's what they taught us in chiropractic school. Yeah. 80% of your diagnosis does come from history. Uh, what is it? 80% and then 10% from exam and then the last 10%, 10% is imaging, imaging. And, and, and labs and whatnot. Yeah. 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 Um, and they, they taught us the same thing. And it's correct. It is 100% correct. Yeah. Um, I used to, going back to that management company, they would say, take x-rays and everybody, 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 because it was a way to... Generate revenue. Sorry. No, gener- generate revenue, but <laughs> also... It generate revenue in this in the way of not just because you can bill insurance, but because you can convince the patient they need to see you a lot based on the X-ray findings gotcha. that you find. Yeah. Okay, and a lot of people don't talk about that, and this is probably going to rile some feathers. Hey, it's okay. We're um, here to but practice. Impossible. I do believe that that and I, I that is um, 
a large portion of the reason why um, some chiropractors take x-rays. Now, I understand it is a great screening tool to make sure you're not going to hurt that patient, but I've, I'm trying to think of maybe hardly ever in the last 11 years have I taken an x-ray and it's said, don't adjust that patient. It just, I mean, unless you're dealing with like an acute fracture, you're not going to really, or you're dealing with like, say like, um, uh, what's it called? Ozodontodium, which is where the, the dens is missing. Like, mm-hmm. or there's, um, like actual, like, you know, the patient has RA and that, um, gosh, I'm trying to think what it's called, but the, there's a ligament that kind of keeps the, the dens from pushing back against the spinal cord with flexion. Like that is something that would say, don't manipulate, but that's usually with an RA patient or somebody that might have some ligament or synovial damage there. Yeah. Um, I just don't, I've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they make it in school, they make it seem like everyone is going, you got to take extra everybody because like, they're all going to have stuff and it's just not the case. And so yeah. um, I, from, I will only take them, I take imaging when it's clinically necessary. Yeah. Right. I just won't. I, and I understand that some of my profession will do it because they like to do line drawings to know their, their direction of, of adjustment based on their technique. And that's fine. And that's their t- technique. And I, I, you know, it's totally okay with that. Um, but I just, for the way I treat is just not necessary unless I think there's some pathology there that is going to keep me from treating that patient. Yeah. So, um, and that's why we, I don't think we took x-rays in you. I can't remember. No, no, we didn't take, take any x-rays. Um, you saw me fairly free, frequently and yeah. I had not been to a doctor that often, right, right. you know, but yeah. I also was in a severe amount of pain. I yeah. mean, if I go to a doctor, then yeah. it's gotta be something sure, serious. Sure, and, sure, sure. You know, I'm still, still playing soccer right, and, right. you know, uh, I probably injured it there right, somewhere. Right, right, right. But I saw some improvement. Mm-hmm. I saw that you weren't looking to you know, send me to an orthopedic surgeon yeah. for surgery. Sure, and sure. So I felt it was important right. for me to continue on the treatment plan that you right. recommended. And you explained to me that it was going to be over a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't play soccer. Yeah. I shouldn't do certain yeah. things. And, uh, you know, after a while, it got better. I actually listened. <laughs> yeah. I know. Gosh, I love when my patients listen, right? <laughs> um, but, but I also had the, the, the privilege of seeing my wife go through this, similar things and sure. she did some exercises. Yeah. She didn't have any imaging yeah. and she got better. Yeah. And so now... I've done the things that I need to do to keep that yeah. from happening again. Yeah. So how do we educate our physicians, our other uh, other pri- providers to understand that that's what we need. We need to involve you in, in the care of our patients yeah. because it helps. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I just, for me, I like to, um, well, most patients are going to be more educated than they were 30 years ago because they have the internet, right? Mm-hmm. They can, and that's a good and bad thing, right? Yeah, it depends on what websites. Yeah. If the websites are filled with pharmaceutical ads, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, then yeah. then you're not going to have them come up with a chiropractor, you know, right. on the side sure. of the, of the web page, yep. uh, yep. non-surgical or non-medicinal right. uh, med- treatments. Well, there's so. a time and place for, and I, I do refer out for surgery. Yeah. For sure. There's a yeah. time and place for everything, right? Uh, there's a time and place for for narcotics. I'm sure there's a time and place for um, epidurals and and facet blocks and. Yeah. But it shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the majority. <clears throat> no, it shouldn't. It, it should be the absolute minority. Absolutely. Um, and we need to be able to coach our patients yeah. on being able to look at other modalities yeah. and not be afraid, like you were saying. Yeah. yeah. And it's all about education. Right. That's what we're trying to do here: is yeah. educate not only our patients but also really the providers that are afraid to go that route. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, back to your, I want to go back to circle back. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about when it comes to um, MRIs and exams. Like, and, and I think a lot of doctors, <clears throat> if they are good at a history and a good exam, they don't need mm-hmm. an MRI, right? And the problem, the thing is, patients 
they think that that is the most important thing to get. And so most major medical insurances are going to fight you on ordering MRIs. So I know most of the time, like they're going to say, you need to have six weeks of conservative treatment before we will pay for an MRI. So I have to tell the patient, I'm like, x-rays are useless. I'm not shooting radiation at you. So you have to either pay me more or your insurance company has to pay me more um, for no clinical reason. And they're like, okay, MRI is the imaging of choice. We really want to prove that there's a soft tissue injury or disc injury, but your insurance company is probably not going to pay for it. But we're going to get you better before six weeks. Anyways, that's our goal. If we're not, I'm, you're out of the office. I'm sending you some, I'm sending you to ortho probably. Yeah. What I see in some of my patients is that they just won't go. They won't go and they won't pay that $10 copay or $15 copay. <laughs> it's insane. So yeah. Sometimes I see some, some of these things happening and I need to get an MRI so that I can go and get, you know, uh, epidural or yeah. pain management. Yeah. Or, you know, so it's, yeah. it's interesting to see that. And I think it really has to come from education. Yeah. Yeah. And um, patient education is tough. And this is something probably newer practitioners, um, you know, this is good information for them to hear because, I mean, we're all guilty of not hearing everything that's being told to us. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and I think that most of your patients, like they're not listening to you. So you have to f- be very simple in what you say. Mm-hmm. You have to be very focused on what the patient wants, which is how long is this going to take to get me better? Um, how much is this going to cost and what can I do or what can I do? Right. They're, 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 I mean, we're all selfish creatures, right? They're wanting to know, they don't want to feel pain anymore. They want to know how long this is going to take. So patient communication is, is, uh, it's an art. It's an art and it's not something you learn right away. You have to, you have to get good at it, I think. And and I'm still learning. Yeah. And you have to, you have to actually do the work to get good at it also. It's not going to just come to you. Yeah. So you have to go to conferences, you have to take courses, you have to speak to people who are more knowledgeable than you and, and, um, so that's, I think that's really important. And, and that, if you do that, that's how you build a better business yeah, as well. I agree. Because I agree. then patients will trust you and come back. It's the harder way to build in the sense of it takes longer, but it's more fulfilling and it's more self, um, um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-fulfilling it, or not? No, it, it just, it, once you get a certain like X number of patients that have had a good experience with you, um, and are, are happy with your treatment, then it just, it cycles. Snowball. On. It's like a snowball. Yeah. A snowball effect. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that, um, a lot of practitioners, especially in the chiropractic world, they're like, Oh God, I open a practice. I need X amount of patients in the door now to make my overhead and pay myself. Right. And they're looking at like, I need to squeeze as many visits out of everybody that walks in the door as I can. The problem with that, it's like steroids, right? Yeah. You'll, you'll build up quickly, but you'll not be self-reliant. Yeah. The, the practice will be, once you take the steroids away, the practice is going to fall apart because yep. no one's going to, you know, refer to you back themselves or their family and friends because they're going to be like, well, this guy made me come in. I was feeling good by like four visits. He made me come in for 10 more. I didn't really need those, you know? And then he tried to talk me into coming and see him, you know, every once a month, the rest of my life, you know? (laughs) And I think that that sometimes that leaves a bad taste in people's mouths um, because people know, people know like when you're, they're being sold, Mm -hmm. right? We just know, like we've been around the world long enough that we know that somebody's trying to, I don't want to say take advantage of us, but when somebody's like, yeah, you know, trying to get a little bit more out of me than they, this, you know, car sales and all that stuff. Like, yeah. and I think that once patients realize your one main intention, your only goal is to give them relief, pain relief, or resolve their issue, or um, help them, as, you know, whatever it takes, right? Yeah. And if you can't find them someone that can, and when people actually believe that and they know that that's you're you're genuine about that, over time, then you're you just 
grow. Your, yeah. your business grows because you're, they're going to tell their family, their friends. Um, they're going to remember you when you, um, you know, when, when it happens again, cause it, it neck pain and back pain, it's going to come back probably, yeah. you know, yeah. they'll remember. And then when their cousin or their uncle, you know, slips their, their disc out in their lower back, they're gonna be like, you know what, go to my chiropractor. You know, he was, he got me better as quick as he could. He was honest. He, there was no fluff. There was no BS. It was just, let's get you better quick. You know, that's and that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know, that's how I practice now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what's your payer mix? Uh, I know the chiropractors, some chiropractors do um, chiropractor, uh, so MVA. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Um, personal injury. Yeah. So yeah. Are you doing it? I do lot? that. Yes. I do uh, personal injury, motor vehicle accidents. Um, I would say that my pay, like the volume of what I, I guess my pay, let me talk about two different things. Talk about how much money we have coming in versus our, what type of demographics of the patient there are. So I would say I'm probably like 30% cash, probably 40% major medical and the rest is motor vehicle. All right. But motor vehicle is a larger portion of income of okay. revenue, right? Mm -hmm. It just pays better. Um, I, I honestly don't know that breakdown. Yeah. I, I think I should, <laughs> um, but it's, it's probably at least 50% of yeah. revenue. And so th that's where you get the, your agreements with your lawyers and, uh, yeah, what so do they call them? LOAs, LOPs. Yeah. LOPs. So LOPs, that's, that's, that's a, another long discussion that's been changed because of the laws that okay. were just written. Um, LOPs are something that back in the day we would have the patient sign so that... What does L LOP stand for? A letter of protection. Letter of protection. Like it's a medical lien, basically. Yeah. So, um, like if you take an auto accident patient, right, say they don't have any of their own personal injury protection, and um, a lawyer will say, hey, like, can you just hold your bill? Don't bill the patient. Um, just hold it. Um, and then when the case settles, we'll satisfy your bill, right? But a letter of protection helped protect you so that... that like say you're working with a somebody that you didn't know, um, you, they couldn't settle the case, pay the pay off the patient, and then you're left holding That's, nothing, right? Yeah. And so that was kind of the way things were done years ago in, in Florida. Um, now there's some law changes that are kind of precluding attorneys from wanting that signed. But if you have a good relationship with uh, an attorney that you're working with, it, you shouldn't have an issue with that, mm -hmm. right? They're, they should, you know, because it's all about you know, good business practices, yeah. Re establishing relationships. Absolutely. Relationships. And and they know that. And we know that too. Um, at least I hope most of my profession knows that. Um, but motor vehicle, here's, here's how I look at it. Those patients need care. Okay. And I want to be a, provide them pain management, pain relief without them having to do things that are more aggressive, like getting cut open. Now, some of them have to, because they're, you know, they have too much injury, right? Um, but I really want to be that 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 provider that can um, give them the best uh, pain management with conservative treatment versus, you know, ablations or, um, you know, having disectomies yeah. or things like that. Um, and, and of course, there are times when that's needed. And I, I will say there's always a few times a year when I have to, you know, I've tried everything I can and I just, they got to go see an orthopedic. Okay. Um, but uh, motor vehicle accidents are generally more lucrative than other types of um, patient care. Um, but there's also more risk with them because mm -hmm. say, you know, sometimes you get a case, there might not be, there might not, it might settle for zero, you know, there might not be anything there. And so you, sometimes you have to take hits like that where there's nothing there and, 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 you know, it is what it is. It's part mm -hmm. of the business. Yeah. Um, but for me, I don't really think of it that way. I like to think of it as, 
um, you know, I'm going to take good care of this person, get them feeling better, um, do the right stuff for them. And eventually they will, um, you know, they'll probably come back, you know, or they'll refer somebody and it is what it is. We, you know, sometimes you have to write a lot of money off and it is what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I think if you, if you have a good personal business plan as well, I mm-hmm. mean, if your household is, you know, yeah. you're not spending <laughs> right. millions yeah. of dollars at home. And- <laughs> <laughs> Buying the car you don't need. Yeah, yeah. I get it. No, I, we're yeah. all guilty of that. Yeah, I sure. am too. <laughs> So, uh, so there's another, I, I think it's a revenue stream for you that you have, and that's a uh, team physician, yeah, team chiropractor so, for the race. Yeah. So that's, um, so. I think that's more of a revenue stream in the sense of, um, I'm going to, I can, it's a good marketing, right? Yeah. So it's, it's to say that that's what I do. Uh, so I'm, I'm the, one of the team chiropractors for the Tampa Bay Rays. So, cool. um, I, uh, I just got that opportunity this year. Um, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. And, and it's, it's once in a lifetime, really. Um, so how, how did you get that? I mean, so, if, if it's yeah, so um, a, a colleague of mine is already there okay. and um, he just said, Hey, you want, you want this opportunity? I'm like, absolutely. I do. You know, I would say <laughs> cool. no to that. Um, but after doing it for already half a season now, I tell you what it is, is incredible. Um, it's a great organization. The, the players are amazing. Everyone, it's a great locker room. It's a great staff. Um, I can't say anything bad about them. Honestly, it's been such a great experience. Um, I just go in there, I, I treat them and, and everyone's real appreciative. And, uh, um, then I go to the game afterwards. So it's, it's great. <laughs> you get good seats. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I do. They're great. They're great seats. Yeah. So it's, um, my wife really loves it too, because, um, you know, she likes to go to the games and she likes all that stuff too. Yeah, so yeah. she's, uh, um, awesome. yeah, she, she likes it. And so we, we, it's been awesome. And I, I, I hope they bring me back next year. So, so how many do they have usually? How many, how many chiropractors? Yeah, I think there's, um, they have, they have three active chiropractors okay. there. Um, but we all kind of. We, no one travels with the team, so okay. we're just kind of splitting up a few days when they're home. So yeah. there's not, I don't think there's a chiropractor there every day. Um, they probably don't need one there yeah. every day, but yeah. you know, we're not really doing, um, I'm not tr- managing um, issues really. I'm just kind of there to provide adjustments. Mm-hmm. So, cause they have such a great training staff there that they're, they're dealing with all these soft tissue injuries that that's not really my wheelhouse anyways. Yeah. So I just go in there and it's, just adjust them, you know, it's great. It's that's, fun. It's awesome. I mean, I, awesome. yeah, it's a really cool experience. So and I think it's helped me in private practice too. Um, because obviously I was a little bit nervous when I first started, just, it's like, wow, I'm working on these million dollar athletes. But I think it's in that my staff has, has mentioned this to me that I, my level of confidence might've increased mm-hmm. without me realizing that it was just to say that that's what I do. And then having to do that and do it well and be yeah. like, wow, this is like, I really have, I don't want to say arrived, but like I feel more arrived, I guess, within my profession. So that's awesome. Yeah. So what would you say to your uh, younger self? (laughs) The one thing that you would tell your younger self? Yeah. So what the heck was that? Be an anesthesiologist. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Don't go into medicine. (laughs) Oh yeah. Be a plumber. No. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) Um, No, I, uh, depends on what year. Let's see if it was right after chiropractic school or right during chiropractic school, I would say work for somebody else. Okay. Cause I, I would have probably be doing better now if I had to work for somebody for four years, you know, they don't pay well, you're not making good money, but it's probably the same as residency. Right. So it's, you know, so you live, live like a resident. Yeah, exactly. For five years. years and learn the business side of things, you know, make your mistakes under somebody else's in somebody else's office. Instead of like when you have to make your, you have to make X amount of dollars to keep your doors open, you know? Um, I think that would have been what I would told my pre uh, business self. Um, and if it was pre chiropractic, I would probably tell myself, 
you know, I, I, that's a good question. Um, you know, it, I would be hard pressed to be a chiropractor, I think, um, only because it's, it's pretty difficult to, I think, be successful within it. I think there's, there's much easier directions within medicine to be financially successful. Okay. Um, now, I don't know how fulfilling other those areas of medicine are yeah. um, mentally, right? So the best part of what I do is my interactions with humans and able to help them. That's the best part. That's what makes it okay. Um, the business side of things I'm not a fan of. I'm sure a lot of doctors or chiropractors probably agree with me there. Um, but the fulfilling nature of what I do, um, I don't know how that would compare to other types of medicine. Is it, is it as fulfilling to be rheumatologist? I have no idea. Yeah. You know, I, I, what about radiology? We're not really dealing with people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I so do it love depends it. on a personality type. Yeah, also, it does. The exactly. Or and, surgeon. Like I, you know, how, how, how great is Like, is that, are they happy? I have no idea. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I consider myself a happy person. Right. Yeah. So there's not just, you can't just look at things as like, how easy is it for me to make a million dollars? Right. Like it, you can't always look at it like that because uh, you know, you could work 80 hours a week doing something you hate and maybe make you know a million dollars, who knows, but do you really want to do that and just hate what you do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, that's going off on a tangent here and kind of going around in a circle. So I guess uh, I, th- I, would... I think we get it. I, I think we get it. Sure. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, but yeah, if I was, to, I would probably tell myself to um, make sure that I pursued something that was, um, if I was going to choose a different side of medicine to maybe do more shadowing of those physicians mm-hmm. in order to see if that is something that I would enjoy doing um, so that not only am I making good money, but I'm also loving what I do. Like those two things, like how often do you think those match on most people? Probably not hardly anybody, right? Where in any profession, right? Yeah. Where you're like, I am making really good money and I really love what I'm doing. Like they both come to like, does that happen? I don't know. You yeah, know, yeah. I think my, my buddy I was telling you about earlier that um, he does the uh, the picking um, the, the where he goes to the garage sales and picks stuff. Oh, and sells yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Like, he yeah. loves what he's doing and he's doing pretty good, you yeah. know, and it's like that's like most people don't ever like do that, like follow that. You def- definitely want to arrive that you want yeah. you want to arrive there, because I think if you if you do that, then that's where it, it's easy to make money. too. Right. Like it's not hard to go to work. Yeah. I, like we were talking about the yeah. podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually like doing this yeah, stuff. Right, and right. Like yeah. educating, like talking to people, right, uh, right. like uh, helping other people. Yeah. And I think if if I didn't, then you know, I probably wouldn't be doing this. I yeah. probably wouldn't be successful. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So. I always tell younger people. You know, I, I have a, a patient now. He's younger, and he always asks me like things about what I'm doing, and he just tries to pick my brain, which I think is smart. Um, and I'm always like, you know, I always tell these younger folks, I'm like, do what you love. Yeah. That's the most important yeah. thing. You got to do what you love. Absolutely. You got to find something that you like to do and be the best at it. And then chances, chances of success are going to go up much higher than Absolutely. if you like, were like, well, my dad was, was a, you know, a, a lawyer. So now I have to be a lawyer. Yeah. Well, maybe you shouldn't because maybe that's not what you love or yeah. would like to do. So, yeah. And then focus your intensity on it. Right. Yep. So you got to focus it over time and that's, what's going to bring you success. Right. I mean, right. you can't do, it's not going to be overnight. Right. Uh, but you also have to focus on it. Right. So, right. Um, I so, hope that wasn't too. Go no, around, no, 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 no. Okay. You're fine. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tend to go off in tangents. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. Fine. So I, I, I've been doing some things uh, on the, in season two, uh, rapid fire we, sure. is what we call it. And sure. just ask you 10 yeah, questions. Let's do it. And see uh, one word answers. Gotcha. Oh, one word. Oh God. That's, that's going to be a difficult part. <laughs> one word. One word about, or a phrase. How about an entire paragraph? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so favorite book. 
Oh man. And the, the, this, these are the easy ones. Huh? <laughs> they got stumped me on that one. <laughs> what have I been reading lately? I just read fiction. It could be fiction. Yeah, I, re- I just read a book by this guy, Peter Zihan. I forget the name of it. It's his newest book about um, about deglobalization of the world. I'm like super interested in that. I'm like, I heard actually got into that by um, watching a Joe Rogan podcast where he was on. I'm like, this guy is like the stuff he was saying was like mind boggling. Yeah. So that, right now, that's my favorite book, <laughs> which is like not what most people would. I'll, agree. I'll, I'll have to research that and get the, <laughs> yeah, na- the, yeah, get the title. It's his newest book, and uh, I can't think of the name of it. Cool. Favorite sports team? Oh, oh, this is easy. Well, I should say the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and I tell you what, I've become a super, uh, super huge uh, fan of of baseball this year and of that team. But um, I guess my 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 childhood uh, team would it was formerly known as the Washington Redskins. Now the Washington Commanders. I was um, diehard, still am. Um, yeah. It's tough to be a fan of theirs, but that would be my favorite yeah. team. This one when uh, what Joe Gibbs? Joe Gibbs? Yeah. Was, uh, oh, Joe Gibbs is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Gosh, that that was the golden years. I was young though. I mean. They won a Super Bowl in 1991, so I was like, what, nine years old? So I don't really yeah. remember that much. Actually, uh, my, my claim to to knowing Joe, Rig- Joe Riggs is... Yeah. Uh, Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs is yeah. um, when we when they had the earthquake in Haiti, Yeah, um, there were no flights to Haiti. Right. We were doing a mission trip. Oh, okay. And we went down to South Florida, and Joe Gibbs had donated his... Fl- Planes to go really? down to Haiti. Wow! To, for relief was this, missions. Was this before he was? Co- oh, was he after? He was, he was after. Coach? After. Yeah, I think so it was he, 2010. 2010. So yeah, but so he was doing the racing. Right. So yeah. it's a Joe Gibbs racing team. Oh, that's cool. His planes flew us down. He's to a Haiti. good guy. Yeah. yeah he's yeah, this. So I big think heart. you wouldn't find anybody in Washington D.C. that would say anything bad about him. Yeah. So he's a he's a local hero. So cool. Uh, a bad habit that you have. <sighs> Cell phone use. <laughs> One thing your wife really loves about you. Oh, <laughs> <Is he> tough. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, my, humor, little, my humor. My humor. She really loves about about you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite vacation spot. Oh, we love to cruise. We're cruisers. So we uh, anywhere in the Caribbean. Caribbean. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're uh, when I say when you say vacation, I the cruise ship. I'll cruise ship. Okay. <laughs> Which cruise line? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Carnival for a long time, but uh, I'm not a huge fan of them now. They've kind of gone downhill. So I just went on a Royal Caribbean cruise, actually, and it was awesome. So that, yeah. that might be my new favorite. So. Oh, okay. Dream car. Dream car. Um, I'm a simple man. I like trucks. So probably a Ford Raptor. Nice. Yeah. Uh, last movie you saw? I just watched Flags of Our Fathers again. I love World War II history, so I, I was hoping you were going to say Barbie. Ah, I want to see Oppenheimer. That's I, I wanted to do that, and it's like three three hours and fifteen minutes long. It's like, oh my! It's a long movie, yeah. So I was trying to talk to the wife. I'm like, hey, let's go watch this, and she's like, it's too long. I'm like, I have to wait till it comes out on TV. All right. One thing you would absolutely change in the world if you had the power to do so. Oh, geez. Okay. You had all the power. You have a magic wand. You want this changed? Uh, I mean, it's like you got to go with the big stuff then too. I mean, like obviously the easy answer is like world hunger, um, and and oh man, animal and child abuse. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, <laughs> the one uh, spiritual habit that you have that you practice at my that I practice. Yeah, spiritual habit. Um. I don't want to say meditation, but I do a lot, spend a lot of time, like, especially in the morning is doing just spending time to think 
like no distractions, just kind of, I think that's a really good habit. A lot of people, we don't ever take the time to just take away the distractions and just, okay, let's think about where I'm at, you know? Okay. And, and, and that's, I think your best decision-making comes during those times. So. Absolutely. And, um, this may be a little hard. <laughs> They're all hard. <laughs> Who is the fittest player on the Rays? Oh gosh. Team? Fittest player. Probably. I mean, they're all in great shape. Um, Careful now. Yeah. <laughs> that I've worked on, probably the pitcher, Tyler Glass now. He's in great shape. Yeah. Yeah, but those pitchers, they have to be. You know? yeah, yeah. They all have to be. Like, I mean, I guess if you're probably the most out of shape would probably, I'm not going to say anybody on the, on the team, obviously, but you think mostly are the, the pitchers that are not pitchers, the um the hitters, you know, the guys that just are home run guys, you know, they don't have to do anything else. So, but yeah, no, they're all, there's everybody on that team is in great shape. So awesome. Yeah. yeah. This has been a great episode. It has been thank, good. Okay, good. Thank, I'm glad. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. Sure. And, uh, How long have we been doing this? Uh, we've been doing this about 50 minutes now. Oh, yeah. God, so, faster than I thought. All yeah, right, cool. Did I answer everything? I think so. Unless right. you want to add anything to your fellow oh, chiropractor, gosh. chiropractic um, students coming out. So chiropractic students, if you're all listening to this, um, man, I made a ton of mistakes, um, you know, I did everything the hard way. So hopefully I can provide some value for you. Um, but you know, when I was in school, I thought that I had to learn every little thing, right? Like learn every technique, learn every type of chiropractic. There's a lot of different branches of chiropractic, right? I thought I had to do all of that. And, and really you just got to find something you like to do uh-huh. and then really hammer that and then work under a doctor that does that. And do that until you are not only good clinically, but you're also like have some business acumen and then, then branch out and start your own thing. That's so, great advice. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome advice. Sure. How do we find you? So I'm in uh, Northdale, Tampa. Um, uh, the name of the practice, it's a mouthful. It's a uh, Tampa back pain relief chiropractic. I chose that cause that's what I do. Um, and, uh, you know, we take everybody anybody you know money cool. through, money through thursday no friday so i'm good there um but yeah that's what's where i'm at um so you we'll know. have you you'll we'll have your information to show yeah notes sure, and, sure. Uh, for sure absolutely we really appreciate you sure, coming on sure. the practice possible podcast yes. and uh if you haven't done so leave a review uh tell your friends tell your chiropractors tell your other doctors uh, that uh, we are here to help you yeah. understand the business of medicine sure and to help you your population live long because um if we can't take care of ourselves and we can't help our own patients so thank you again for having yes for coming on yeah the, thank you for the, the opportunity i do appreciate it it's been awesome awesome cool